You're listening to Art Affairs, episode 71. Today I'll be talking to Nakomi Nix-Turner. So my name is Michael Faith, and this is Art Affairs. Art Affairs is my attempt at shining a spotlight on the many wonderful people that make up this amazing art community, featuring conversations with artists, gallerists, curators, telling their stories. You can take through previous episodes, complete with show notes, at artaffairspodcast.com. But the best way to stay plugged in is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're really enjoying the show and want to help support what I'm doing here in an even bigger way, check out the Art Affairs Patreon. Not only does it give you an opportunity to help keep the show going, but there are several community-oriented benefits as well, like getting early access to episodes and suggesting questions for upcoming guests. You can find all the information about that at patreon.com slash artaffairs. You can also connect with the show on Instagram at artaffairspodcast. All right, so today's guest is artist Nakomi Nix-Turner. Nakomi creates gorgeous grayscale graphite pieces, rich with symbology and emotion. But she actually started her career working as a commercial illustrator and creative director. We talk about how she transitioned from working in the commercial space to being a successful gallery artist, her focus on nature and its importance in her life, the last few years of creative exploration and experimentation she's been doing, and a whole lot more. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nakomi Nix-Turner. Nikomi, it's so good to have you on the show. I'm so excited because I've been talking to you about this for a long time. And it, <laughs> we finally, I think you were one of the first people that I talked to before I even started this show about potentially coming on in the future. So I'm so stoked that we could finally make this happen. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I remember we were sitting in Minneapolis and you were telling me about all the equipment you were getting. And like, <laughs> I don't know, like, should I do it? And yeah, it's pretty awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and well, and just your words, words of support and errands and everybody there, um, uh, it certainly gave me confidence to actually do it. So thank you. Um, but before we jump into you, I'm sure everybody's wondering, how's Luna doing? Oh, she is doing great. <laughs> I don't know. She's now almost 14. Oh, and I wow. think she's starting to get, uh, I don't know, a little loopy in her old elder age. So that's been fun. I don't know. She walks around talking to herself. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But like vision and all that stuff is still good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I spoil her. So I think she's going to live uh, for an eon. So it's wonderful. Awesome. Very cool. And so, you know, as far as your background goes, um, you know, I know you were born in Oakland and you obviously lived there for a long time, but you grew up in Southern Oregon. So tell me about that. How did you end up um, spending so much time in your childhood in, in Oregon? Yeah, so um, I'm... I think fourth generation Oaklander. So all of my family is here. Um, but my mom really wanted to, I think, have a completely different life. Um, and so I grew up on a cattle ranch in Southern Oregon, um, until she was diagnosed with cancer. And, um, I, you know, my whole family was down in Southern California or Northern California. So, um, 
yeah, I moved back down here and yeah, I have not left. And so spending, um, you know, spending that much time on a ranch and in, in a more rural area, does that mean that you were spending a lot of time in nature and, you know, just adventures and childhood adventures out in with snakes and critters and all that stuff? Oh yeah. Um, I really didn't have many friends, um, just based on where I was located, you know, it's like the suburbs, you have your best friend across the street or, you know, you see kids from school, um, after school and get to, to play with them and stuff like that. I, I definitely didn't have that. And if I did want a play date, I'd have to get shuttled <laughs> to wherever someone else lives. Or, um, if their parents were gracious enough, they would drive, um, to our house, which was pretty far away. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of time by myself, um, played with my dog, um, did a lot of ranch chores. Uh, I played in the ditches. I was, I was just a wild child. Didn't you raise rabbits too? Like have a, Oh, oh my God. Yeah. We had, <laughs> we raised rabbits. We had black Angus cattle. Um, I'm just surprised. Like we didn't have like the full on like ranch farm with like pigs and chickens. We just had a really odd mixture of cows and rabbits. Um, and a lot of people raise rabbits to eat, but my mom, I think she collected, she, she collected strays. I, I'm sure that the rabbits started out from her, like being told by someone like, Oh, this rabbit's going to die. Like, would you like it? Um, that's what happened with us and cats. Like we had seven house cats. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, we raised rabbits that I'm sure the intention was either for show or for meat, but, um, we just kept having rabbits and, <laughs> um, you know, that sand like breed like rabbits, like, yeah, they, they, there's a lot of babies learned a lot of weird things when I was a kid. Um, thanks to just, I guess this, the situation of my environment, but, yeah. um, yeah. And so with your more rural upbringing, is that why you're so good at urban gardening today? I mean, you you seem to be really great at that. I think so. I think I usually kill houseplants, um, but for some reason I'm able to grow like vegetables and things. Um, yeah, it's, it's neat because it's kind of a, a nod to what I experienced as a child in kind of a city setting, but... Yeah. I don't know. All of my vegetables I grow are, I don't know. I grow them, but they're weird. And <laughs> it's like my carrots are very strange looking. Like nothing is like, nothing would win a ribbon. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all in the effort though. Right. Um, so, so did you have any artists in your family though? I mean, when you were growing up, did you have that sort of presence around you? Um, there were creative people. Um, I don't think anyone was, you know, compelled to ever call themselves an artist. Um, my mom, she was a nurse for a long time and then taught anatomy and physiology, but did a lot of creative things like, uh, sewing. I feel like cooking is really creative, but, um, that could be argued against, I guess. Um, and then my uncle's a woodworker. So lots of people doing things with their hands. And I, I remember reading that your grandfather was really influential and in that he had a very um, extensive art collection and historical artifacts and was really kind of your main exposure to, um, you know, that sort of um, experience growing up. So is, is, is that what kind of exposed you to that side of art? Yeah, I would say that he 
was probably one of my biggest influences um, in terms of kind of exposure to exposure to illustration and artwork and yeah, historical pieces. He collected Japanese um, artifacts and woodblock illustration prints with my Nana. They both avidly did that. But I think what had the biggest impact on me was uh, their collection of Fillmore posters, um, like an extensive collection that I would pour over when I would go and visit them from an early age. So I think that has always just had a, a big impact in, I guess, creativity for me, or more so the fascination of what people can do. You know, like as a kid, like looking at Stanley Mouse illustrations or, you know, things like that was pretty wild. And, you know, that would be the first thing when I would go to their house, I would like pull the giant binders out and just flip through them. Like it was my, my favorite thing to do. So, um, yeah, they both had just a a very large impact on me creatively. And, and, um, I think just as a person as well. And was that part of what I guess inspired you to express your own, you know, creative side or, you know, create art yourself? I think that was more a remedy for loneliness as a kid. Um, yeah, I, I used to draw all the time if I wasn't outside. Um, and I think unprompted too. like, I think I just, it was just something I really enjoyed doing. I wasn't really much for toys or things like that. I still have a couple of the (laughs) the drawings that I did when I was a really young child. Um, it's pretty funny. I had a, I don't know. That some of them had like, um, like my people had bare hands oh. <laughs> and sharp teeth and they all had cats. Yeah. It's very, very weird. Very cool. I mean, so, you know, that experience creating art, um, was more something that you did for fun though, right? Like you weren't thinking of it as a potential career path. Cause I, if I remember correctly, you were aiming to be a, a marine biologist originally and going into more of a science route. Um, but it was your art teacher in high school that that kind of you know corrected your course i guess so to speak so tell me about that like what um and and thank you to nakomi's high school art teacher (laughs) (laughs) but i mean what was it that um changed your trajectory or motivated that i think the biggest thing that motivated that was um when my mom died it was a very dark time for me um i felt pretty thrown off the rails as it was. Um, and so like psychologically, I don't think, um, (laughs) I don't think I would have made much of a marine biologist or how those studies would have gone. Um, I was definitely fascinated with, um, the idea of doing something in the realm of sciences or medicine, just because, um, that was something that was close to home with my mom. Um, and it was very inspiring and fascinating, um, kind of pouring over the books that she used for her classes and, you know, reading about the body and, you know, all of that was really interesting to me. Um, but when she died, I finished off my last year of high school in California. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a thing. I hated it. I was like, this, (laughs) I, I really, where am I? Um, 
Yeah. So I don't think I really had much ambition at that point. Um, I was just trying to survive as a teenager. Um, and I actually think I was probably set to not graduate <laughs> because I kept skipping uh, PE and I would just be in the art room. <laughs> um, and yeah, the art teacher suggested that I apply to art schools. And I was like, that sounds like tragic waste of time. Like, what am I, what am I going to learn there? Like, what do they teach there? Like, I really didn't have um, any sense of like an advisor or, you know, things like that besides my art teacher. Um, And so, yeah, I applied to California College of the Arts and somehow got in. Uh, I've like, I made a portfolio and everything. And it was, I just remember that like one summer just trying to figure out how to do that. But I guess whatever I made um, impressed the admission people. And so, um, yeah, I was enrolled in CCA and yeah, that was really interesting. I did not, I did not finish art school. And you were there for like a year, right? Before, before you left? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had moved to this apartment, um, that was very, very close to, um, the campus. Um, I didn't really want to have to share a room with anyone. (laughs) (laughs) The idea of like being in a room with strangers, um, was freaky to me at the time. Um, it still is. Maybe that would have been an interesting experience, but, um, yeah. So I got an apartment that was close to the campus and, um, my neighbor was friends with, uh, someone who owned a, a company, um, and was like, Oh, you draw, like you should, you know, go talk to them. And so I ended up getting a job as an illustrator and a designer for the brand Emily, the strange. And I quit art school because it was very expensive. And I think a lot of people get, a lot out of art school, but then I also think there's a lot of people who maybe don't. And I, I felt at least at the time, and it, it might've been just because uh, my head wasn't really in the game. I think I was still not functioning on a, on a high level. Um, still felt pretty lost um, in order to actually like absorb and benefit from art school and those surroundings. It was very inspiring. I thought that, well, it was fascinating being around so many creative people and I would, you know, go home from class and I would just, you know, go back to my apartment and I would just paint or draw all day. And so that was wonderful. I think, um, I started to realize that art wasn't just something that I could do, but it was something that made me happy. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I left art school, um, because I somehow was able to get some hands-on, hands-on work as it would be. Um, and I actually was able to stay with Emily for God, six years. Um, that was a, a wild fun time. And so in retrospect, I guess, are there aspects of you know, an art education that you feel like you missed out on because you did leave early that you kind of regret missing? 
Um, I think what I regret most is probably um, the art history side of it. And I always find myself, um, you know, trying to learn those things on my own, just because that is probably the most fascinating aspect of like how we got here and what's been done over the years and why. And so I think that in writing papers, I know that's probably, that has nothing to do with like physically doing art, but I, I feel like that would have been um, what I would have been probably really passionate about um, had I finished that. That was funny. Writing papers is usually people's least favorite thing, thing about school. At I'm least a, it was mine. <laughs> I, I, I know. I'm just such a nerd. Like that just sounds great, thrilling though. to me. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. That, that, that feels like something that would have been fascinating. I think also, and having, um, having the ability to have a little bit more back and forth with peers. Yeah. So the community aspect of school, I guess. Yeah. I, I had a studio that was in a little bit of a, it wasn't communal per se, but you know, the spaces, we had a, a giant common area and being able to interface with other artists and just talk shop as it were was, was wonderful. I think that was the most beneficial part of being in that space was, you know, being able to uh, talk about artists and process and even kind of having input into your work, you know, having a, like micro critiques. Yeah. And and so you mentioned, you know, shifting into professional work with Emily the Strange and you were there for, you know, six years and went from, you know, entry level illustrator to creative director in that time, which is like an oppressive trajectory. Um, what kind of um, what kind of stuff were you working on and responsible for as creative director? Yeah, so we the apparel line was probably our, our bread and butter um, and the the component that I worked on the most. Um, and so it was you know, designing illustrations for all of our t-shirts and accessories and, and product um, for, I think it was like four seasons times six years. <laughs> um, it's, it's a lot of work working on like the brand style guide. Um, we had like a really small team. I don't know. We were really DIY about everything. And so um at one point I was doing like, I think I did like a comic book spread, which was really fun for our Dark Horse comic. We did art shows. Um, we did really weird things like uh, go to Disneyland and have like pop-up pop events for that stay at the park. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. So I, yeah, was basically drawing Emily from ever I would roll out of bed until sometimes like 10 o'clock at night, wow. three o'clock in the morning. I slept at my desk sometimes, <laughs> uh, just to get like, you know, our seasons out. And yeah, it was, it was a wild time. Um, I think part of that probably gave me some unhealthy, <laughs> unhealthy mm. behaviors, uh, in terms of just not really taking care of myself to get things done. Um, yeah, but it was it was wonderful. Did you have time while you were working on 
the brand to also do your own personal artwork on the side? I mean, it sounds like you were working so much on their stuff. Did you have time for your stuff too? Yeah. I just wasn't taking care of myself. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I would, I had like this, um, I'd get coffee on my way to work, but then I had like a sandwich bag full of instant coffee that I would just put in water throughout the day. And I'd finish a jar of instant coffee Wow, <laughs> probably, uh, every week along with all the other coffee I was drinking. I was, yeah, I wasn't sleeping very much. So I'd go home, um, and work on my own stuff until basically I just fall asleep on like my floor. Like I didn't even have a bed in my apartment because I just, there was no point. I wasn't sleeping. I had, uh, my draft table in my bedroom. Um, I had like a little like futon couch that I would wake up on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what were there things, uh, about that experience that helped you learn, um, or, or that you could apply to your own kind of creative goals? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think just not stopping um, was the biggest thing that I applied. You know, I just, the dedication to, you know, when you're designing for a character, you have to really make sure that it looks like the character, you know, there it's, you have to draw the eyes right. You have to draw the hands right. Like everything you do, you're training the eye and training your hand to do something very specific. And I think I took that kind of rigidity and applied that to my own work. I put a lot of pressure on myself creatively. And I think that that's, that's where that, that's where that started. You know, I think knuckling under and just creating nonstop was probably not the healthiest thing, but I feel it was an exercise in like, how much do I, how much can I produce? How much can I learn? How much can I grow? You know, the things I was doing was for myself. You know, I wasn't showing them to anyone at the time. Um, and so, you know, that amount of rigidity just for myself, I don't know. I explored a lot of things, I explored a lot of styles, um, which was, in, I don't know, in stark contrast to the work that I was doing on a daily basis at Emily. So, yeah. And so why did you end up stopping, you know, working for them? What led to you leaving? Um, I think it was just my time. Like I had been there for so long and I had, you know, kind of wanted to just do more of my own work um, and focus on focus on growing my own voice and kind of not being split between commercial work and the work that I was creating for myself. And what is, I mean, guess what's your opinion in general on commercial work and, you know, just that collaborative experience of working on somebody else's brand? Um, you know, what do you think about that just as a, as a career practice? I think, you know, there's a lot of enjoyable aspects to it. I think that for me personally, having done it for so long, I wouldn't do it again. Um, just because it's, yeah, it takes a lot out of you that maybe you could put to, to personal things. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's a lot of fun. 
to be able to explore a world that's already kind of been developed and see what you can apply to that world and how you can affect that world. And so was your, your goal at that point, as you were, you know, kind of leaving um, the commercial work behind, was your goal then to ultimately do gallery work full time? No, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I didn't really have a goal. I think, you know, um, towards the end of me working there, I think juxtapose had, they had found, I don't even know how they found my art because Instagram wasn't a thing back then. Um, I think maybe they had done a write up on, on a show that I had done. We had like a gallery in the bottom of our offices at Emily and I had done kind of like a mini show there. Um, we'd rotated out for, um, people who worked there, um, the owner, Rob Rieger, had a great show down there. Um, we also use it as like a showroom space, but I think they might have encountered my work that way. But, you know, it was really neat to, you know, have them recognize my work back then. And I think it all just kind of happened naturally because I think at that point, Modern Eden had reached out and, um, I did a show with them in, I think, 2008, which was uh, my first, like, actual gallery solo show. The sh- the gallery that you had uh, below you guys in Emily Strange, was that Gallery Extraña? Yeah, that was our, our gallery um, downstairs. And, yeah, I did. That was the first time I had shown work like that in public, like we did a lot of, um, Emily shows and we had like, um, group shows for people who are artists who were wanting to draw Emily the strange or associated with the brand. Or, you know, we had great Bay area, like, you know, punk artists. We had Winston Smith who, you know, made some really awesome pieces, uh, for these shows, but we'd have them at, um, one eleven minute and I'd put like a piece in there and, you know, it was, really fun, but that wasn't something I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this full time. Um, and so the show at Emily was really awesome, but it still felt like it was, you know, just me enjoying art with the people that I enjoyed art with all the time. Like it wasn't something to me that felt like, look what I did. You know, I just kind of felt like a party. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Um, Just a, a coworker like get together. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really fun though. I'll never for, forget that. You know, had you been very active in the art community or the gallery community there in the Bay Area at that point? Um, I was to an extent. I more so, I think, was just trying to understand what that even was. You know, I was still really young. Um, like I started working at Emily when I was nineteen. And so I was still, still a dumb kid. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, the internet was there, but there wasn't really the kind of like online presence of artist communities. We had um, this website called Fecal Face that I used to love. John Tripp and a whole bunch of other people started that and, you know, really made this kind of like uh, online community that was really inspiring and and wonderful to just get to see all these people who were in this area and what they created. And so, you know, I would 
you know, look at shows and galleries that were around based on what I was seeing on fecal face. And, you know, so I hadn't really asked to be in any shows. Like I, I don't know. I, I still have a problem with this where I don't really, I feel awkward um, asking, Hey, can I be in a show? (laughs) I don't, yeah, I didn't really know the right approach to do that. Um, I did show in a really neat group show at this place called uh, Soma Arts in San Francisco. And you got paired up with another artist and created something together. And it was a really, really interesting group show. And I think that was kind of my, one of the intros of like, oh, like I could, I could actually do this and, you know, enjoy being able to be a part of something. I just didn't really, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to push anything to happen. So I'm not really, I don't know, maybe it was organic. And so Modern Eden reached out to you for that nocturnal show, that original show with them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, since then, has having a, or is having a strong relationship with a gallery, something that you feel is an important component to your career and artist career in general, especially with like the rise of social media and stuff like that? Um. Boy, um, I do. I, I think, I think we would all be missing something in life if we didn't have a space where we could experience, um, experience art as an individual, um, and be able to look at it in person. I think we see so much art on our phones, um, with social media that we take it for granted. So I think it's, I think they're invaluable in that sense. I think that a lot of things are shifting in the art world in terms of, I think how, how shows are put together or, you know, the types of artists. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting space to, to work in and be a part of, but I do think it's important for myself. Um, you know, I lost we all lost a lot of things over the past few years for myself, you know, it's like uh, last rights closed. And that was a gallery that I really enjoyed showing with, you know, and a lot of things have kind of shifted that I still feel it's really important, but I think for myself personally, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how my work evolves now where it kind of, I'm not like, Oh, I'm going to be in, 50 group shows this year (laughs) you know um so i i think my relationship with showing in galleries has changed a little bit yeah but i i still think it's important is that still something you're trying to to kind of wrap your head around as far as what that looks like um i guess so i don't really put too much thought into it um there's a lot of a lot of galleries that I would love to show in. Um, but I think for me, the work is a lot more important than kind of like, where am I going to, to share this or am I going to share this? I guess what place does social media have? Uh, I, I think social media for me almost doesn't feel like it belongs in my creative practice anymore. I don't really find it conducive to my explorations or where my art is presently. Like I feel that 
I overshared a lot, you know, um, in terms of like sharing process and in progress. And I think, you know, a lot of artists love to do that and share that with their community. But I think sometimes it, sometimes in the process, you're sharing things that maybe should be kept to yourself or maybe could help you evolve one step further, but because you've shared it, it's kind of like, oh, well, this is set in stone. Um, I have to now keep doing this forever. Um, so I think for me, it, it, it doesn't really serve as big of a purpose as it used to before. I, I love sharing my work um, and, you know, sharing that with the, I think, little community that I have um, gotten to builder who who came along for the ride um so to speak but I think for me it's it's kind of gotten the way of perhaps exploring things a little bit further that I'd like to you know and that kind of goes with group shows as well like I was just really grateful to be included in a lot of things so I would always say yes but I think now I'm kind of learning like I don't have to say yes to everything even though I'd really love to but like the more I say yes to the less time I have to um, I don't know tackle the sketchbook that I have full of thumbnails that I should probably work on (laughs) eventually Um, yeah so I don't know social media is a really weird thing and I talk to a lot of friends who wish that they didn't have to be on it anymore you know I think it has exhausted a lot of creatives because some at some point in time, I don't know where this evolution happened with the app, but everyone became content creators, whether they wanted to or not. You know, I think neurologically, you know, I think we're all the same, whether you want to admit it or not, the dopamine hits of like is a double-edged sword. And you know, a lot of, a lot of friends have said that they went off the train, but you know, it's part of the business and a part of kind of that aspect of it, which I don't know. I've, <laughs> I, I want to reject that fear and that kind of, that way of looking at it for myself. Like I don't, I don't want to be tethered to it as a, I have to do this. I have right. to share with you. Well, you mentioned it also again, can, counteract some of your exploration or some of your creative creativity is that because the platform kind of encourages this expectation or that the people that are following you have this expectation of i'm going to do the same thing and this is the box that i fit in i think for me it's more so that i just i would rather (laughs) explore really weird things on my own without there being the assumption that this is now what i'm doing i think once people see something on your on your social media, they're like, Oh, okay. That's what, that's what you're doing now. Like, this is the, this is the content I was promised. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's just my warped jaded perception of it now. Um, but for me, it's, it doesn't seem like, Oh, wow. I just thought of this idea. Let me share it with, you know, 60,000 people plus, even before I've figured out what this idea really means to me or how I could evolve this. Well, that makes sense. And so, you know, there's definitely um, 
uncountable amounts of bad things in social media, but there are some, there, there's a couple of redeeming aspects, which is you have a close connection to people that you may not op- have the opportunity to. So how do you get that part of it in another way if you kind of pull back from social media? Have you thought about how you still kind of make that connection with people? Yeah, I have a newsletter that occasionally I blow the dust off of. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really have the answer to that. And I think that's something that I don't want to lose because that does matter to me in terms of, you know, the people who are interested in seeing what I'm working on or being a part of that creative, that creative outlet that exists in a digital space. Um, I don't know. I don't have the answers, Michael. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so before we move off the social media topic, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the, the origin of your name um, on social media, FernBets. I have a theory, um, but I wanted to see just my own personal validation if, if it's correct or not, <laughs> if, if you want to talk about it. <laughs> oh, do you know, I've had people come up to me and they're like, they want to say hi, but then they don't know what to call me. <laughs> <laughs> and like... Um, yeah, I think I had like one person think that my name was Fernbeds, which I loved. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, I I don't know. I I'm a product of like old time internet where you didn't use your name, <laughs> um, and I never I never looked at Instagram in the beginning as something that was like I was going to have any popularity whatsoever. So I should use my name. Never thought about that. Um, I really, really like the idea of fern beds. It's just a beautiful word. Um, I used to live by a creek that was just engulfed in ferns. Um, and I think that's how that came to be. It's my cellar door. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, uh, in an interview that I read that that one of your first kind of discoveries of the beauty of nature was discovering a coyote, like a dead coyote on a bed of ferns. So I was like, oh, mm-hmm. maybe that's part of the origin of the name is is this kind of, you know, cycle of life and death um, and how this dying coyote is nourishing the ferns, you know. Yeah, ferns have always played a part in my life. They seem to follow me wherever I go. That's a good segue into some of the, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about the themes that, that your work involves. And nature is is a core component to your work and has been for a while. Um, you know, whether it be a returning to nature or the sanctity of nature or nature like reclaiming certain aspects of life. So I guess has nature always been a core focus for you and how you kind of tell your story in relation to the world? Yeah, I mean... Nature has always been something I've been closer to than people. I feel like I can understand it a little better. I think that, especially now in our modern age, we sometimes take it for granted. um, And we take for granted its power. And I love the duality of, you know, kind of our, our city environment with, you know, the nature that's around us and, you know, being able to kind of get lost in plants and animals and, you know, creating kind of worlds for myself that are different than what I live in. I think I've, I've been doing that for, for quite some time now. Um, 
you know, creating lush environments or, you know, really focusing on animals as kind of stand-ins for a human component. Um, a lot of the times all, you know, a dog's not really a dog in my work. So yeah, it's nature has been definitely something that's invaluable to the story I'm trying to tell um, with my work. Has it been hard to, um, I mean, how do you continue to stay connected with the nature, you know, being in such an urban environment like Oakland, like how do you make that intentional, um, you know, get yourself you know, immersed back into nature from time to time? Oh, I mean, California is wonderful in the sense that you can drive like a few hours and be in snow or you can drive, you know, an hour and a half and be on the coastline. So it's, it's not hard at all. Um, we basically, there's this saying, um, under the watchful eye of Mount Tam. So we have like this, this gorgeous mountain that I love to go to. Um, yeah, it's, it's not hard at all. I think it's, that's kind of the magic of it is even if you're surrounded by pavement, you know, you can find a, tr- a trove of nature. With, with nature being so important to you, I guess, how do you feel about the state and direction of the world? <laughs> Is it, are you hopeful? Like, where do you sit in that, uh, this whole scheme of things with everything, um, and, and the way that it is with the environment? I'm sorry. Do you have three hours to talk? (laughs) That's a can of worms. I know. (laughs) Holy crap. Um, I'm hopeful. I, I think that's the one thing that sometimes we forget about is, you know, I think as much as we try to destroy it, nature is always going to find a way to fight back against our idiotic behavior um yeah i'm not worried okay yeah i mean i guess in in the whole grand scheme of things nature's gonna always be here it's whether we can survive in whatever it becomes (laughs) yeah i mean maybe if you flip the question like how do i think about like our survival like humanity right (laughs) yeah nature's gonna be fine (laughs) fair enough you know, another aspect or another kind of thematic in your work um, that I really love is the kind of the depth of the symbology and, and, and a lot of which, you know, the, the average observer may not even fully understand or, or uh, kind of connect with or comprehend, I guess. Has that always been the case in your art or has it been something that's grown stronger over time as you've kind of matured? Uh, I think it's always been the case, but I, I think my work has has kind of almost evolved into being somewhat more, even more personal in that realm. So I think it's always been a a part of it. I think I've just kind of over time because of spending so much time building these stories and building these themes, it's probably grown a little deeper. I, I have to laugh though, because I feel like a lot of people probably look at my art and it's like, wow, that's a really pretty dog. Wow. Those dogs are playing. That's <laughs> cool. But then in my own head, there's this whole, you know, story that I've built up of, you know, these are two warring families. There's this symbolization of loss and grief. And I don't, yeah, someone else might see something different. I think that's wonderful. So I think for myself, those, those stories and deeper meetings and symbolisms that I build in my work are kind of almost just for myself 
um, because I don't really go to great lengths to explain things. I, I really, I don't care if someone only sees, you know, kind of the face value of something. I think that's their experience, right? That's, that's kind of how they're taking it in. I think that's kind of the beauty of, of art is you kind of get to enjoy whatever story it is you're seeing for yourself as the viewer. Um, even if that's different from the artist's um, initial, yeah, initial story that they were trying to portray. And so these stories that, that, you know, are mostly for yourself, but that you're telling through your work, are they about yourself? Are they autobiographical or are they statements about the, the general human experience? Um, what, what are the stories uh, generally? Uh, I would say a mixture of both. I think, like I said, because I spend so much time creating each piece, there's a lot of autobiographical things that kind of fold into each piece, but I think it's an outlet for me to experience uh, or share my perception and perspectives of things that are happening right now. Kind of a way of processing things as well. Do you find that that some of these things are subconscious, like that you didn't even realize that you were incorporating this thing until you looked back on it several years later? No, I, I feel like subconscious an idea might come through, but I, I'm very intentional with kind of the, the work I'm creating or the story that I'm building. Okay. And have you ever been like a surprise by somebody's interpretation of, of a piece or something that kind of took you by, you know, weren't expecting? I'm always surprised. Um, yeah. And I think that has to do with, you know, it's like everyone sees things differently. And so I think that's kind of the beauty of, you know, getting to hear what people, I guess, connect to a piece or, you know, oh, this makes me feel this way. Um, that's always interesting to hear because usually it has nothing to do with <laughs> why, I, why I originally made something. And I think that's I don't know. That's, that's really enjoyable. Um, oftentimes the titles of my work, I think I tried to at least fold in my original intention in like of the piece with the title of the work. Um, that's why sometimes they're really long. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, I just, I do like the idea of, kind of that symbolism or, or the whole piece itself being up to interpretation. And, and one of the common symbols that I've seen incorporated in your work for a while or common motifs are, you know, uh, people or animals with things tied to them, whether it be notes or, or um, you know, ornamental elements. Um, and I read that, that that actually came about because of you losing a lot of your possessions in a house fire. And I, I, we hadn't talked about that, so I didn't realize that that had happened. How long ago was that? Was that when you were growing up? Was that when you were an adult? No, that was the first apartment that I had um, that was by my college uh, one night. So I lived above my landlord. Um, and one night I was listening to music and drawing and I had my headphones on. And I heard banging and I took my headphones off and it's like, what the hell is that? And it was someone banging on my door to get out of my apartment. Um, and so our whole front side of the apartment had caught on fire. Wow. And they had taken care of that. But 
when I had come back in with the fire marshal and they were like, just making sure that everything was okay. Um, you know, I had been in there for like five, I'd say two to five minutes by myself. And I went into the kitchen and the wall was hot. So the fire was actually in the walls. (laughs) And so they came back and yeah, I lost a lot of stuff, but I, gained a lot of insight into the fact that none of those things mattered. And there was, you know, only a couple of things that I would have cared if they were gone. And so, you know, the motif of tying things to, to yourself or animals with things tied to them are kind of those little bits of things that you would want to take with you, you know, that are important to you and, you know, that saying, like, um, you got away with just the shirt on your back. It's like, okay, well, what did, what did I get away with? You know, my mom's poems, um, you know, these little keepsakes. And so sometimes I incorporate that into the work as a way of showing what's important to, to that central figure. No, I really like that. And, and, um, you know, another just continuing on uh, with other motifs that are, are often in your work or other, I guess, components of your work that I've observed uh, patterns. You really love patterns and I love your patterns. <laughs> <laughs> so how did your love of patterns come about? And, and does that stem from just a general interest in fashion in some way? Or, or where does that come from? Um, as you can see, but your listeners cannot. I really don't care about fashion all too much. Um, but the love for me of patterns, um, as a lot of things, you know, stemmed from my grandfather's collection of work, a lot of the woodblock prints that he has, you know, it is very heavily textile focus. You have, you know, the beautiful, uh, fabric that the figures are wrapped in. You have, um, you know, just very hyper detailed uh, textiles. And that was a part of what I loved pouring over when I was a kid of those prints were the fabrics and how it almost felt like some people were just swimming in these like billowed fabrics and that mm. became, um, almost like a second figure in the the prints for me. Um, and then also the, excuse me, the Fillmore posters themselves, you know, are very hyper saturated with details and lines and squiggles and, you know, all of those things, um, I think over time buried themselves into my brain and, you know, um, became things that I also incorporated into my work just because of a love and respect for what, what textile can do in terms of movement and, and things like that. And it also can be a little trippy sometimes when you put two, two patterns together that have a little bit more movement than, you know, say just a, a flat, a flat gradient or something like that. Um, yeah, it definitely adds a richness. I think it's also really meditative to just create a really weird pattern that I have to draw Um, kind of perfectly so it looks like a pattern over and over and over again. (laughs) 
you know, obviously color isn't something that you typically, you know, have to consider uh, that much in, in the work that you make. But I'm curious, does that make it easier for you or harder for you? Because it could be easier in terms of less one less thing you have to think about, but much harder because you need to communicate things without color, which is a way of communicating things. So what, how do you think about um, kind of the absence of color? Yeah, I think for me, it's, um, I've always kind of likened it to, like, I grew up watching black and white movies with my mom. And in black and white movies, and when you think of also, like, say, like a stage performance, like things have to be amplified um, in order to tell the story. So, you know, uh, high contrast of things in black and white movies, you tend to pay more attention to, but you're not distracted by color you know a person could be um, standing next to someone else and you're not distracted by what that person is wearing it's the story you know and that kind of has always been interesting to me because in an absence of color there's a lot more that happens and so yeah I think also integrating patterns helps to strengthen or at least um at least add some more depth and contrast visually. And also I think maybe a part of um, the actual story when there's just kind of the black and white world that it exists in. Mm. So, so it's kind of shining a, a brighter spotlight on the story itself rather than distracting you with things that may not connect with, or may not be tied to the story. Yeah. I also feel like people have such personal connections or emotional connections to color that that's always been something I kind of wanted to strip out of it. I think that probably now that I'm thinking of it, I think it probably stems from like when I was working uh, with Emily, it's like, Oh, those colors don't work together. And, you know, having those kind of like thoughts about color and removing or like subtracting that from the equation has been, I think at times more challenging than if I was to just work in color. So shifting a little bit into your process, uh, how do you tend to arrive at ideas for new works? Do you have like a daily, you mentioned a sketchbook earlier um, and thumbnailing. Is that, is that how you kind of work out your ideas is through a sketchbook routine? Yeah, I have a few sketchbooks. I'm not really good at um, dedicating a specific, like I create a sketchbook every six months or one year. You know, I kind of, they just sit around forever. Um, and I have a really large sketchbook that I fill with thumbnails of <sighs> compositions, um, an idea that pops into my head of just scrawling it really quickly. I think the, the process of thumbnailing is sometimes more interesting to me than like evolving it into a full sketch because there's so much more movement. It's almost like you've um, pressed pause on the idea and just like slapped it onto a page. Um, there's a lot more movement and information in the thumbnail sometimes uh, for me. And so that's, I think, probably my, my most favorite part of the process is being able to create those thumbnails and, and look back on them after I finish a piece as well. I'm like, what did I miss? <laughs> and I guess, does it evolve a whole lot? I mean, since, you know, from the thumbnail stage, does it take a, a huge turn usually or does it stay pretty close to the original concept? A lot more information goes into the final pieces versus the thumbnail. Uh, I've found that over the years, though, I've been more drawn to the thumbnails 
than some of the actual final works. And that's been really interesting because it's allowed me to start playing with the idea of subtracting information from pieces and having a little bit more of an exploration of, well, what if I made, you know, the thumbnail into the piece? Like, how does that look? Like, what if I just, the piece is the thumbnail. So that's been really interesting to me, but it's also, it's very interesting to see what gets added into the final work versus the thumbnail. How does it usually go from thumbnail to final? Do you just have iterative, you know, more and more refined sketches until you you're happy with it? Or how do you approach building that composition out? Yeah, I just keep kind of redrawing it from the thumbnail to see, to see what works, to see, you know, from what my intention was like, Oh, I need to add this or, you know, what if this was laid out differently? And yeah, it's, it's an interesting dance with myself. Um, you know, I often I'll draw something almost five times before I you know, feel that the composition is good or that certain elements have, you know, landed in there that feel like they actually tell the story really well. Leading up to that, um, the point where you're happy with it, do you do much in the way of research, um, you know, working through your ideas? Does that help you in, in some way? No, <laughs> um, it, it doesn't really, I kind of, I kind of just like to attempt to build what's build what's in my head from that initial thought. Sometimes when I've used kind of more of like a research period of figuring out the information that I'm, I'm trying to illustrate, um, it's almost gotten in the way. And so I find just diving in um, and drawing to be more um, to be more satisfactory in that process. Um, I also feel like I end up making some mistakes that sometimes are happy accidents. Hmm. So, do you think that 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 um, intentional um, kind of keeping it within your own imagination keeps it more authentic, like? causes you to not stray away from the original spirit of the idea? Sometimes. Um, sometimes I do. I don't really, I don't really think that it would hurt it too much. I think I spend so long working on the piece that if I also spent so long trying to research, research and um, really dial things in, I would probably never finish a piece. <laughs> Um, there's that saying like, uh, artwork is only abandoned, never finished. That resonates a lot. Like you could probably work on something forever. Um, so it, it might hamper it, hamper the process. Well, and I've never talked to you about this before, but I read that you don't use any reference material at all in terms of like photographic imagery that you always like to, you know, kind of draw entirely from your imagination or your memory. Um, as detailed as your work tends to be, that's impressive. Um, you must have an incredible memory. <laughs> um, is that just like a way of challenging yourself or is it just so you stick more to that pure vision that's in your head? 
So it used to be, and this is also why I feel like if, if anyone would ask me like, what advice would you give the young artists? It would be not to do interviews. <laughs> um, just cause things evolved. Like when sure. I, when I said that I wasn't using any references. Um, it was a, definitely a challenge to myself of, Oh, I can draw it. I know what that looks like, which is fine. I don't, I feel like when I said that I was, it wasn't something that was like impressive to me. It was more of a, let's try and do this, uh, without looking at anything. But I started doing life drawing classes, um, a few years after that interview, um, and really understood the benefit of, uh, working from life of really utilizing, uh, some sort of reference in order to train my brain more and train my hand more. Um, so I will bring in bits of plants and draw those, try and figure out, Oh, you know, if I see on my walk, there's a, a plant that I've never seen before, or the leaf is doing something that I find really interesting. Like I'll either take a photo of it or bring it home um, and just stare at it. <laughs> uh, and then you know, in terms of people, I had, I had had a model Finch come to my, my loft in Oakland a few years back, um, you know, and just kind of drew her as a muse for a while, which was wonderful for me to be able to stare at the form and understand and digest the way lighting hits the body, you know, a certain way or, um, yeah, kind of build like a, a better mental reference for things. So although the probably like 20 year old me who, who used to do that, um, <laughs> was having a good time, not looking at references and like trying to, trying to do that. I, I do see the value in, um, the mental exercise that happens from, you know, looking at, a figure and, and drawing from life and, and things like that. And so um, I think that part of my, my process has certainly evolved over time, um, which is, is wonderful. Yeah. And so when you, I guess, do you tend to uh, try to schedule um, photo shoots or live drawing sessions um, for all of your work now? Um, I was pre, uh, pre pandemic. Um, so, you know, that might be something that I, I do again, you know, but for now it's, it's kind of like, I think I, I think I've done those things to the point where I, I feel comfortable and confident, say, you know, doing certain poses um, by myself, but I, I look forward to um, finding a place that I can do life drawing again at, you know, that opportunity, unfortunately, they, um, where I was going, they no longer offer that. And so, um, my friend Elizabeth occasionally brings a model in, um, to her studio for the public to, to draw on. So I'll probably start doing that again. Right on. As far as mediums that you work in, obviously, uh, graphite is an important part of your, your repertoire. Um, I, I guess, um, one of the ways in which you just that I've read that you describe the way that you work with graphite is painting with graphite, which I think is a very kind of visceral description and it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, 
but tell me about that technique. Guys. How did how did you develop that over the years? Um, and how do you think about the way in which you use graphite? Yeah, I think um, the reference of painting with graphite just comes from kind of the laborious uh, process of layering and layering and layering until I'm I'm building a surface that you know feels um, feels appropriate for the drawing. I'm, you know, I'm not really sure how that happened other than, than just, um, oh, look at, this is what happens if I sit here for four hours and keep layering uh, this small area. Oh, I really like how that looks. Um, yeah. So, uh, that is kind of how I look at painting with graphite is just, um, really trying to build the surface in a way that feels smooth and, um, conveys, a little bit of a sense that it's not necessarily pencil. I've had, I don't know. I, I, I look at it and I see graphite. I've had other people will go like, what medium did you use? And it's like, it's pencil. Um, so maybe, you know, part of that process um, allows for it not to feel like a, a more rigid line drawing feels a little bit more lush, I guess. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the time in which it takes to accomplish that or to achieve that. And you were said earlier about the unhealthy work-life balance that you had in your younger days. I guess, how, how is your work-life balance today? Do you feel like you have a healthier balance? <laughs> um, <laughs> I do. Um, it just takes me a long time to make art. I think that's something I was getting really frustrated with myself. Um, about a few years ago, um, just cause I, I think I was just like, well, I need to produce more because I'm, I have all these ideas and they're just sitting there, but I work so slow. I was getting really, um, rather mean to myself about that. Um, but it, it honestly, it is what it is. <laughs> um, it, that's what it takes. Um, and I also, think that's probably why I've started also exploring other mediums as a way of figuring out how to, you know, flush an idea. And I think at this time for myself, not everything has to be in graphite. You know, I've started working with um, just kind of like acrylic line drawings, basically. So acrylic illustrations, um, just to get an idea out that maybe doesn't need to be resolved with a full-blown graphite piece. Um, so that's been interesting. But yeah, I just, I take a long time <laughs> to make things. <laughs> and so you mentioned, you know, experimentation, exploration, and did different mediums. And I, I think it was 2019, 2020, when you you kind of went into a heavy stage of experimentation, exploring different ways of, you know, expressing yourself, whether it be uh, sculpture, you, 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 you went a lot into abstract sculpture. Um, you mentioned acrylic line drawings. Um, I guess what motivated that, that desire to experiment, or has that just always been like, have you always just wanted to evolve your process and this is just another form of that? I think for me and the work that I do, I didn't evolve and my work didn't evolve rather I would be miserable creating art I think every artist should allow themselves to create things that 
perhaps push the boundaries of what they know they create can create. Um, and I think over the past few years, what I know I can create has become less thrilling than what I don't know that I can create. Um, and so I've been, you know, exploring kind of the boundaries of, um, my own creative capacity, which has been really, really wonderful. Um, especially over the past few years with everything, it's been nice to find little bits of new joy in being able to say, work with wood and, you know, create a, a sculpture in the moment, allowing it to just kind of become what it wants to become or the same with clay or, you know, having an idea and not being, um, not being so hard on myself that I have to create a, like a full fledged you know, piece out of it. And I can just create a line drawing, um, something a little bit more gestural. I, I, it's become more important than anything for me now to have the ability to explore. Was that difficult, I guess, um, giving up some element of that control, like working in more abstract terms? Because, you know, so much of your work before then is so detailed, highly rendered, you know, so moving into more abstracts, was that challenging to you to give yourself that freedom? Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to the work that I create. And I put a lot of boundary or I have put a lot of boundaries on myself and I'm I have been creatively rigid and um I put a lot of pressure on myself. So being able to do something where I don't know how it's going to end up and I don't I can't foresee what it's going to look like before it's done has been an exploration in I think having faith in myself creatively and that's been really awesome for lack of a better word. Very cool. And and do you think you'll that any of these areas that you've been exploring in will become kind of a permanent part of your creative output? Do you, you know, you know, do you like doing them? Is it something you want to continue to do more often? Um I think so. I think I'm I think I'm to the point in where I'm exploring how do I bridge kind of these things together? You know, I think that um, sculpture and like seeing things in the 3D form has been really interesting to me uh, being a 2D artist, um, that it'll be interesting to see how I can kind of bridge those two worlds for myself. Um, so yeah, it's it's been really interesting to see how, how that plays out. Um, I think I'm obsessed with making making sculptures, but I also need to stop because I'm just like surrounded by them now. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't have that many surfaces in my home. Um, so yeah, I should probably figure out what I'm doing um, with all of that. But I, I, I do think it's going to be something that I end up, you know, evolving further over time. I, I think it won't go down for me as a, pandemic folly. I think it'll be something that hopefully grows into something interesting for myself. Are, are there other mediums that, that you'd like to explore that you haven't had the chance to? Um, 
I mean, I could say paint. <laughs> I do, I do enjoy, um, I do enjoy painting. And so I think as my eyesight gets crummier uh, than it presently is, I might be exploring that a little bit more. But I don't know. I Graphite is always something I think I will enjoy as kind of my primary medium just because it's such a direct way of communicating. I can instantly just draw it. You know, I started using graphite because I couldn't really afford, you know, a bunch of mediums or, or things like that. But then it also was just easier. You know, I didn't have to pull all of my paints out. I didn't have to, there wasn't a process. I could just sit down and and draw. You know, we talked a lot about the themes in your work and, and the very personal nature of of the messaging that, that you're communicating. Um, but I know that that for a while, at least, you, you, you made it a point to make a yearly trip to Europe to kind of draw inspiration and spark that creative voice within yourself. Um, so tell me about that, I guess, that tradition of yours. When did that start and, and what, what prompted you to start doing that? Well, that was in 2014, I think. Yeah, I don't know. We have wonderful museums here in America, um, but Europe almost in and of itself is a museum. You know, there's so much inspiration from uh, the architecture that has, you know, withstood the test of time and, you know, components of, um, components of that and sculptural works. And I was fortunate enough to, be able to travel as much as I, um, as much as I have to be able to, I guess, surround myself with, uh, beauty more foreign to the things that I was seeing on a daily basis, um, or had access to. And it definitely, it definitely started to, I think, have an impact on the work that I was creating because I was starting to build a visual language that I think was prompted a lot by the the trips that I would take um, and the things that I would see. And so, yeah, it just became something where I, I had the, I had the privilege to be able to get to travel every year and, and uh, explore that. In addition to Europe, are there other cultures that, that, you know, you haven't had the opportunity to experience that you think would add more to your, your creative vision or your creative, I guess, the way in which you, you know, express yourself? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, hopefully I will live long enough where I can, you know, experience experience the world. That would be wonderful. Um, I would love to go to Morocco one day. Um, I think it's, a, from what I've seen, a, an absolutely breathtaking place. Um, yeah, right with beauty. Um, so I would love to be able to, to you know, travel a whole a whole lot more than I have done so I think just being outside of your comfort zone is also truly inspiring um, I think being away from home away from a studio is is something that I think can change the way that you perceive things around you and you know perception is a, a large part of just kind of how I absorb things and um, figure out how I'm going to articulate the thoughts that I'm having. 
into artwork. And I'm, I'm guessing that that COVID has uh, affected <laughs> this tradition in some way. Um, have you been able to go since the start of the pandemic? Uh, I have not. Um, I am figuring out, though, where kind of that first trip will be. So, yeah, it definitely, definitely put a kibosh on being able to (laughs) to go anywhere. But I think that's that's all of us. Right. I mean, have you felt that less creative because of that? Because, you know, obviously this was meant to be as a yearly source of kind of getting outside of your own environment. Have you just since we've been through three years of this now, do you feel like you've been less off because of it? Oddly, it's the reverse. I think that traveling is, has always been important just so that I can, I don't know, have a break from myself and surroundings and um, kind of hit refresh on my brain. But, you know, over the past few years, I think I've been able to confront myself a little bit more and confront confront things that maybe there were a lot more distractions around at the time that I didn't have to really kind of take those journeys inward and, you know, explore, okay, what am I doing? Like, do I enjoy doing this? You know, what does this mean to me after like so many years of doing, you know, this, this particular type of work, you know, how do I like, what, what is next for what I create, you know, and I don't really know if those conversations would have happened, uh, would have happened as um, fluidly or as directly if I hadn't have been homebound like everyone else and, you know, really just had to go like, okay, well, I can't go to the art store because we can't leave the house. So, right. well, there's wood in the attic. <laughs> I have one more sheet of paper and... I don't want to use that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Force you to stay in your own head, it sounds like, and just introspect more. Yeah. And, you know, I think that was also the catalyst of like, okay, well, I'm going to make other things because <laughs> I have to be more creative with uh, what's around me. Sure. So shifting gears a little bit and and almost selfishly, because as you know, you know, I'm a big music nerd and you've done a couple, a few posters for A Perfect Circle. So I just kind of wanted to know how that came about. How did that project uh, come to you and, and what was that experience like? Yeah, that was the neat part about that project was that I grew up with posters. I grew up with poster art. I grew up, you know, with seeing some of the most brilliant illustrators create posters for some of the, you know, biggest, most interesting bands of the sixties and seventies. Um, I don't really know how that came about. I think Billy just text messaged me and I was like, cause he was like, do you want to do a poster? And I was like, sure. Um, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds fun. Um, I was like, what do you, what is it for? Um, and it was, for their San Francisco show. Um, and that was really awesome because, you know, again, it was really rad to create a, a poster for San Francisco. Um, cause it just felt like, I don't know, it almost felt like a gift I could share with my grandfather of like, I made a, I made a poster and it's for a San Francisco show. And, um, but yeah, that, 
I don't know. He just text messaged me. I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like, you know, what do you want? And he's just like, anything you want to do. And so it was, it was great to have some creative license, um, you know, for a band that I have loved for a long time and, uh, be able to, to share that, um, was really, really special. And then, um, they asked me a couple more times and I created, I think three posters for them. It was your approach working on these different than the approach that we talked about earlier with your personal work. Um, I think the only thing that was rather different was just, you know, having to go like, do you like this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, like, here's my drawing. Do you like this? Um, you know, I don't really have to do that with my own work. Um, so that was, I think the only thing that was, that was really different. Um, fortunately, Billy liked, liked what I did there. So, um, I didn't really have to, to be too fussy with the actual drawing or the, the ideas, um, which was great. Um, probably would have been fun to have been told like, no, I don't like that. Um, and see where that would have, uh, forced my hand to, to go into a different direction. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a process that was really similar. I think, um, if anything, you know, after creating the drawing, it kind of, uh, was a little bit more, um, graphic element work. And so, you know, really kind of creating that centerpiece and then, you know, creating the other components that I think tied it together to be, um, more of a poster and less of a, you know, just a piece of art. And so, you know, you and I have talked a lot about music, uh, mostly nerding out over industrial music. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess, how do you think that music has affected or influenced your work um, in general? Has it, or has it just been kind of a backdrop that has had like a subtle influence? Um, Well, music has always been a huge part of um, my life just as a person. Um, but creatively, I, you know, I love listening to music while I work. And so, you know, it becomes, um, it becomes a part of that process. I don't know. I think a lot of people are like, I like, you know, I like every music or I like all types of music. Um, I truly do. (laughs) Like, (laughs) truly do. Like, I think you and I go on industrial tangents a lot, but. What are you listening to right now? Anything good? Oh, what am I listening to? Um, let's see, I was listening to goodness. Don't laugh at me. Um, I have been on a, I don't I think it's a nostalgia like hit that I need. I was listening to a lot of new metal. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, like, like corn from, and limp biscuit. <laughs> yeah. I think like my top album last year was corn's new album, which is hilarious. It's a good album. Does Jonathan Davis still like do the scat thing? Absolutely. <laughs> of course. Like that's a cornerstone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Goodness. that That's really funny. Um, no, uh, a part of, I think the, the fun thing with the, things kind of changing um, a little bit after the past few years is being able to go see some, some new shows and, and things like that. So yeah, looking, looking forward to um, being able to see more live shows 
Awesome. So let's let's talk about what you have coming up. What's uh, what have you been focusing on lately? Anything exciting you have on the horizon that you'd want to talk about? Awesome. Um, I think right now I'm just trying to figure out um, what I am doing with kind of all of the the works that I've I've started. Um, in 2020, I was supposed to have a show in Philadelphia, which obviously did not happen. Um, and so a lot of time has passed since then. And so it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, well, all those ideas that I was wanting to share, I'd like to do different ideas. Um, I'd like to create different works. Um, it's kind of been a lot of time has passed between that. Um, and so really just shifting to figure out, um, how I finish the the things that I'm working on right now and uh, in, I guess, what capacity I'll, I'll share that in. So, yeah, not a whole hell of a lot, but a lot <laughs> of work. Um, and so that's exciting. Um, that's exciting for me. Do you think, I mean, or is this still undetermined um, that once you kind of get enough work under your belt that you'd want to share that it would be with the same gallery in Philadelphia, or is that still TBD as far as what you would do with it? I was actually going to show with Jess and her space. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't even going to be like a formal gallery space. It was, um, I was kind of going to just take over her whole storeroom, but then obviously that all had to close down. So I'm not, I'm not really sure. I think, um, with the amount of kind of sculptural things that I've done, it would be really fun to do something, um, <laughs> on the West coast, just so I didn't have to ship things, uh, being a little selfish, but, um, yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I think that, um, you know, it probably won't be in the same space that I had planned, um, uh, maybe on the West coast. Awesome. Maybe I won't have to hop on a plane to go right. to a show <laughs> <laughs> and figure out how to ship a lot of things. Yeah, it's I, I, like I feel like part of my life is being like an expert packer. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just so uh, I guess where can people find you online so they can stay up to date with the latest and find out about what you have coming up next? Yeah, I have my website, um, com. Um, and I have obviously social media. I apologize if you expect content delivered to your door daily, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's primarily it, um, for where you can find me. And everybody sign up for your newsletter. So that's, I'm assuming on your website, right? Yeah. Everyone sign up for my newsletter that I occasionally remember <laughs> to send things out. All right. So last question, and this is something that I like to ask everybody. Uh, who is one artist that you'd like to see me have on the show? Oh, God. <sighs> I didn't prepare for that one. I think I think I'd be very interested to hear what uh, Christian Rex Van Minen would have to say about his work and, and practice. Very cool. Um, Awesome. Great suggestion. I, I, I follow him as well. So I will um, add them to the list. I appreciate it. Nikomi, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it as well. And, and hopefully, uh, hopefully I 
got everything out that you were wanting to know. So that's it for this episode of Art Affairs. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nakomi. I really love Nakomi's work. And of course, her focus on nature, I've always personally been a big fan of. But I also really love how rich in symbolism her works are. And I, I found it really interesting what she had to say about the very you know, personal nature of many of these symbols and the stories that they tell. It's almost like a conversation that she's having with herself um, you know, that we're fortunate enough to overhear. And it's great that she's felt this freedom over the last few years to explore all these new ways of working and these more abstract ways to express herself creatively, but also how important evolution is to her in general. I think she said that at this point, the things that she's never done are more exciting to her than the things she already has. That's such a cool way to look at the world, always striving for growth. I'm also excited by the new work she's going to be focusing on. It sounds like it's going to manifest in some form, originally for a show in Philadelphia, but might take place on the West Coast now. So definitely follow her Instagram, or better yet, subscribe to her newsletter to stay up to date with all the latest. So thanks again to Nakomi for joining me today, and thank you for checking out the show. I'm truly grateful for your support. And just a reminder, one big way you could help out if you're really enjoying the show would be to check out the show's Patreon. You can find all the details on patreon.com artaffairs. And as always, you can contact me through my website at artaffairspodcast.com or on Instagram at artaffairspodcast. So until next time, be good to yourself and be good to each other. Thank you.